first one of the Dibros, right in the beginning there in Shmos, Perak, Kaf, and Yisro. Anochi Hashem Elokecha, Sheotzicha, Me'eretz Mitzrayim, Me'beis Avadim, Lo Yelcha, Elokim Achirim, Al Panai. This is the mitzvah of, which loosely translated, belief in God. Anochi Hashem Elokecha, I am the Lord your God. You need to know that, and implied in that is a commandment to believe that. Or at least that's how the Rambam very famously understands this first Dibra, the first, uh, these Psukim. The Rambam in his Sefer HaMitzvot, as well as in the Mishnah Torah, counts this. In his Sefer HaMitzvot, this is actually the very first mitzvah that is counted out of all the 613. The Rambam thinks there's a mitzvah to believe in Hashem. This is famously debated. Many early authorities, notably the Bahag and others, rejected this, questioned the Rambam after all. How can there be a mitzvah to believe in God? How can there be a mitzvah before there is a belief in a commander? Who, who's telling me to believe in God before I believe in God? It seems quite circular. It's a very good and strong question. And over the years, there have been many, many answers to this question to defend the Rambam's position. It is a complicated uh, sugya, and there are, it's too evolved to get into in such a brief shear that we will have uh, today. But be aware that that is debated, but the Rambam prominently, not exclusively, others agree with the Rambam, but the Rambam most prominently believes, no pun intended, that belief in Hashem is actually a command and a mitzvah. The command or not, the Rambam, in a certain sense, goes even further in his famous comments to the introduction of the Mishnayos in Sanhedrin in Perak Yud, chapter 10, where the Rambam lists the 13 principles of faith, which have become popularly referred to as the Animamins. The very first of the Animamins, the very first of the principles of faith that the Rambam lays down for us, is that we have to believe in Hashem. So it's not just the mitzvah according to the Rambam, but a foundational principle of Jewish faith, the belief in God. I'd like to, time permitting, make three brief, but I think all of which are important and thought-provoking and meaningful, uh, three points, three harot, three discussions. Uh, Number one is, why does the Torah, why did God use the term Anochi Hashem Lokecha, I am the Lord your God, as opposed to the more popular term that he could have used, the easier term, the more familiar term, Ani Hashem Lokecha. Why does he dafka, why does he specifically use the word Anochi? So the Malbim, the Sforno, and others all assume that Anochi, even more than Ani, represents something that is exclusive. There's an exclusive element to the word Anochi. In what sense? So the Malbim says it emphasizes the exclusiveness of God. I, and only I, am God. Or as the Svarno says very similarly, I alone am the prime cause for all existence. That's one kind of approach that we're talking about an exclusive claim of being the creator, the prime cause. Rashi uh, does not ask this question uh, outright or, you know, isn't bothered outright, but Rashi, based on the, the comments of Chazal and the Mechilta, addressed this issue. And Rashi says something very profound, I think. God appears to us in different forms. After all, as the Medrash says, when he split the sea and he vanquished the Egyptian army, he looked like a mighty warrior. However, to the Jews, as they saw God appear to them at Harsinai, he looked like an old man full of mercy, or according to a different version of the Medrash, like a sofer malay chachma, and malay rachmim, an old, wise scribe filled with wisdom and compassion and mercy. So the way people at different times in their life experience God, the way the Jewish people experience God at Harsinai, the way they experience God at 
The Yamsuf are not always the same. We experience God in different ways. And therefore, Anochi, you have to realize exclusivity. No, it's all one and the same. It's all one and the same. No matter how God appears to you, it's all the same God. And I think this is an incredible insight because I think it's true for us in our own lives as well. There are different times of life where we experience Hashem differently. We see Him, so to speak, differently. The Hashem we feel at the time of a great celebration is not necessarily the same Hashem we feel or the image that we see uh, at a time of pain. But Anochi Hashem Lokecha, it is the very same Hashem. That is part of our belief. Thirdly, in a slightly different way, but also I think very fascinating, the Psikta, a different uh, collection of Midrashim, the Psikta says that it's not that it var- God varies in the way He appears based on the experience, but based on the person. According to the sophistication of a person and the intelligence and the learned, how learned a person is and how smart the person is, Hatzah Hashem appears to them. But, again, Anochi Hashem Lokecha. I am the same God no matter who I am appearing to, no matter how they see me. And this also, I think, very much resonates with our own experience. Different people experience HaKadosh Baruch Hu in different ways. There's no doubt that the sophisticated intellectual experiences and sees, so to speak, Hashem differently than the more simple or uneducated, the more emotional person in a different way than the more rational person. And yet, that's what the Torah is coming to tell us. That's the first Dibra, Anochi Hashem Lokecha. I am the same Hashem, it's Anochi, no matter who you are, no matter what experience you're having, happy or sad, easy or hard, you're smart, you're not as smart, you're more emotional, you're more rational, intellectual, it doesn't matter, that's the greatness, and the multifacetedness of this incredible Anochi Hashem Lokecha, all these different experiences are, both, are all real, and they're all one in the same person. Another point, which is worth mentioning, uh, as the Mepharshim do, is why, and this is really striking, we glanced over it when we first read the Pasuk, but when Hashem announces Himself, Anochi Hashem Lokecha, what would we have expected it to say? I think we, many of us would have expected it to say, I'm the Lord your God who created the world. But that's not what the Torah says. It says, Anochi Hashem Lokecha, Sicha, excuse me, tongue twister there for me, I apologize, Me'eretz Mitzrayim. Why does God identify himself? Does he announce himself to the world as the one who took us out of Mitzrayim more so than what would, what happened first and might be more obvious, a statement of being God, capital G, as the creator of the world? Uh, this question is implied in Rashi, and the Ibn Ezra actually recounts that Rabbi Yudah Levi explicitly and personally asked him directly, they asked him this question. And there are two basic answers in the Mepharshim, both in the Ibn Ezra as well as other Mepharshim picking up one or the other. Rashi, Dealing with this implied question, the Ebenezer in his second interpretation and the Chizkuni all say the premise here, why does God identify himself by anything? The premise is to explain why we're obligated to listen not only to this, but to the other 612 mitzvos. And that is because of great kindness, the chesed that God did for us. And therefore, because of something that he did for us, he has a claim on us. He can command us and we have to listen to him. Now you might say, well, why not everybody? Hashem created the whole world. Hashem created every human being. Shouldn't everyone have to listen? Why do the Jewish people have so many more obligations, so many more mitzvos? And that's the answer is no, because you uniquely and exclusively as the Jewish people, I took you out of Mitzrayim. Therefore you, I gave you great and special chesed, great kindness. Therefore, dafka you, more than any other nation in the world, have more mitzvos. A second answer, which is also in the Eben Ezra, as well as in the Rebbe Bachaye, is that this is something unlike the creation of the world, in which every person who was standing at Harsin at the time, they themselves had just gone through, only a few weeks earlier, 
Yitzhiya Mitzrayim, Kriyas Yamsuf. It was giving an example to the people of what they saw with their own eyes, what they personally experienced. That's much easier to connect to than a revelation that God created the world, which is abstract, and no one was there, and it's obscure, and it's complicated. This everyone saw, no one could contradict. And if you're familiar with the Kuzari, you know this is an idea that he takes very much uh, and runs with, the idea that there's something uniquely powerful about Judaism's claim to truth, because our most significant revelational moment was one that could not have been fabricated, but rather was seen by approximately 2 million people. So the Ibn Ezra is not talking about a proof, but the Ibn Ezra is making this very point for why Hashem chose to identify himself that way, because it's something that they all relate to. doesn't matter how smart or not smart, intellectual or not intellectual, if you saw it with your own eyes, you could relate to Hashem that way. And last but not least, I want to just circle back to something we mentioned before, that the Rambam does count this as a mitzvah. But more importantly than whether he counts it as a mitzvah or not, is the fact that the Rambam in the Mishnah Torah formulates the mitzvah as that Yisod HaYisodos Anurachachmos what's this most foundational commandment? Leida Shesha Matzerishon to know that there's a prime cause to know that there's a God who created the world etc etc and many Mepharshim note why did the Ramam use the term Leida to know he actually does not say to believe in God I start off this year by saying the, it's, it's, the mitzvah here is to believe in God the Ramam says it's to know God so some explain, and this you can find similarly ideas in the Beis HaLevi, in the Shlach Kadosh, that Leda, as opposed to Emuna, has to do with things which are not just based on tradition or blind faith, but things which can be proved, which are logical, which are rational. And perhaps the Ramam is arguing that we should all try to, as best to our intellectual ability to rationally investigate, try to prove and understand uh, God, not just because we feel it, so to speak, or because our parents told us. However, I'll conclude with mentioning what I think is a more profound and instructive even explanation, especially in our generation, and that is the insight of Rav Salavechik. Rav Salavechik, one of the tshuva drushes in Ahla Tshuva, says it's rather, what does Leda mean? It's not because of something more intellectual or scientific or rational, but rather, Milashon, as the Torah says in Bereshit's Perak Dalid, Adam Yada Es Chava Ishto. And obviously the Yada in that Pasuk refers to something very intimate and a very close and constant and incredibly intimate relationship, not abstract and merely intellectual, but a total connection, total connected awareness. And we find other places in Tanakh where Leida means something similar. For example, later in Parashas Aperkid Chet, when Hashem is attesting his love of Avraham, Ki Yedativ, God says, I know. And Rashi says, what does I know? Lashon Shel Chiba. It's not about intellectual knowledge, but rather intimacy, closeness, Chiba. And that says the Rav, that is this mitzvah. Not only to know and to believe in Hashem, but to make Hashem a connected, permanent, regular, close part of our lives. Not something abstract, not the commander in the ivory tower in the sky, but Leda. To know, to be close, to be connected at all times. Not easy to do, but I think if we can, and if that's the goal, and we realize that's the goal, incredibly meaningful if we can live up to the demands and the aspirations of that interpretation of this first of the Dibros. The second of the Aseris Dibros could loosely be described as the prohibition against idolatry. In fact, it's a lengthy presentation in the Torah in terms of the number of words and Sukim even, perhaps the longest of any of the Dibros. But the reason I hedged uh, slightly is because, in fact, there is a machlokes, what exactly is included in this second Dibra. 
The Rambam, most prominently, although others follow his lead, the Rambam actually believes that there are four separate prohibitions that are involved in the second of the Dibros. The first is, Lo yelecha Elohim achirim, which means you should not believe in any other god, any other idol. Then it is, Lo sa'aselecha, you cannot make an idol. Lo sishtachaveh, which means not only not to bow down, but as is understood, it means any of the four unique and focused ways of worship of Hashem in the Beis HaMikdash, bowing down, but also slaughtering, offering libations, pouring something to the idol, or burning something, a meat or incense to the idol, any of those four things which are so prominent in the Beis HaMikdash, you cannot do to any idol. And then lastly, you cannot worship an idol in any way that is the unique way that that idol is worshipped. In other words, Los says that those four types of avoda cannot be performed towards any idol, even if that's not the way that idol is usually worshipped. You can't bow down to any idol, even if that's not the way that particular idol is worshipped. In addition to that, Los tells me that any particular way an idol is worshipped, so then for that idol you cannot act in that way. All four of these are not just ideas, but specifically in separate mitzvos that according to the Rambam, he counts in his counting of the 613 in his Sefer mitzvos. Among others, the Ramban prominently disagrees. And the Ramban says, no, there's only one mitzvah here, and that is a general mitzvah, an umbrella mitzvah, under Lohiyah of not believing in or acknowledging in any way a form of Avodah Zarah. Now, Slightly humorously, I would say, uh, it's worth noting, not humorously, but uh, in a light manner, that uh, the Rambam's position, at least, um, should at the very least remind us that when we, myself included, often would translate Aser Dibros as Ten Commandments, that's actually imprecise. According to the Rambam, we already see that the second Dibra includes four commandments. So there's going to be a lot more, or at least somewhat more than Ten Commandments according to the Rambam. On the other hand, I myself uh, would also go with the convention of Ten Commandments, only because the idea of ten statements or ten utterances just sounds ridiculous, at least not to me. But you should be aware, even if you use the term Ten Commandments, that at least according to the Rambam, it's imprecise because there's more than ten. On a more serious note, the Ramban levies a very serious question against the position of the Rambam. How could the Rambam hold that there are actually four mitzvos that are included here when the Gemara in Masech the Makos on Davchav Gimel, Davchav Dalid, in uh, a famous teaching, teaches us that in fact, of the 613 mitzvos, the Taryag, 611 were taught to us by Moshe, and two were taught to us directly from Hashem. What are the two that were taught directly by Hashem, Anochi, the first Dibra, and Loiya, the second Dibra. So says the Ramban, you see explicitly in the Gemara that there are only, of the 613 mitzvos, two of them are included in these first two Dibros, only one is in Loiya. According to the Rambam, the whole Gemara doesn't make any sense. The Rambam says there are four mitzvos, which would mean basically that if you add Anochi yesterday's shear and the four today, it really should be, according to the Rambam, 608 taught by Moshe and five taught by Hashem. But that's not what the Gemara says. The Gemara says 611 and only two taught by Hashem. That certainly seems to indicate, as the Ramban himself holds, that Luiya is only one mitzvah. How could the Rambam say it is four? There are numerous answers to this question, but I'll highlight just one, which is the beautiful explanation of the Mesha Chachma, of Meir Simcha of Dvinsk. And he explains the Rambam's position in this halachic context, based on what the Rambam says in his famous philosophical work, the Mornevuchim. The Rambam of the Mornevuchim actually has an original and creative interpretation of the Gemara, and explains that the nation, in fact, did not hear any commandment from Hashem. None. None of the commandments did they get from Hashem. 
So what does that mean in the, in the Gemara? So there the Ramam explains very beautifully to give us a whole insight what happened at Har Sinai. Says the Rambam, the Jewish people, two million strong, standing at the foot of the mountain, they heard all the words, they heard all the psukim, they heard everything from Hashem, but they couldn't understand any of it. They couldn't grasp any of the substance or the content. It was just too overwhelming. And yet, despite the fact they couldn't make out what was being said, they heard it, but they couldn't understand it, despite that fact, because of the awesome revelation that they witnessed, they came to realize on their own that there's a God. You have to believe in a God, Anochi. And they Memelo understood on their own. How can you have idols? Look, we just experienced Hashem. So they only needed Moshe to teach them <clears throat> another 611. In that sense, the Gemara says they heard too from Hashem. Not that Hashem taught it to them, but that they heard it from Hashem, and Memela, they only needed Moshe to teach them the other things. The says the Meshachachma, the Rambam, is beautifully consistent with Shitaso. When the, the way the Rambam understands the Gemara, it never said that the Hashem only taught the Jewish people to mitzvos. The Gemara meant it only taught them these two dibros. Included in the two dibros are in fact not two, but altogether five mitzvos. One Anochi, yesterday's topic, and four in this topic. So that is the very beautiful explanation of the Meshachachma, which not only, so to speak, gets the Rambam off the hook, but also gives us an insight, at least the Rambam's understanding, of what actually happened at Har Sinai and the whole idea of Aserah Sadebros. A second point I want to mention briefly. Later on in the Psukim, later towards the end of, the, um, of this Dibra, we are told that Hashem is going to get very, very upset if you, if you worship idols, and the Torah itself, the Dibra, describes Hashem as an El Kana. A jealous God. Why is he dafka jealous? In fact, the Ramban here notes that throughout the Tanakh, the only time we ever find God described as jealous is in the concept of Avodah Zarah, context of Avodah Zarah. There are many other Averos. Hashem gets upset about other things. But jealous is only when it comes to Avodah Zarah. And why is that? So the Ramban, and again, others have said this after the Ramban, Rabbein Abachai, the Barbanel, others, but it comes from the Ramban. The Ramban says, you know why? Because it's comparable to a husband and a wife. Am Yisrael and Hashem are not just Stam, a nation and its king, a relationship. It's the unique and intense and special relationship of a husband and a wife. And when the Jewish people do something wrong, no, that's like any fight that could happen in a marriage. But if we worship a Vodazara, that's like betraying our spouse. That's like having an illicit affair. And of course, then, if a spouse has an affair, we understand on a human level, the one who was cheated on is jealous that somebody, you know, that the husband or wife uh, found uh, comfort and company somewhere else. That's a natural uh, emotion in such a context. And therefore explains that's why Hashem uh, is jealous Tafka here. I would add on my own a little Ha'ara that this therefore explains why, according to the Rambam at least, there's a separate prohibition, as we explained before, of worshipping any Avodah Zarah with the four special means of Avodah, the of, of worship that are usually reserved in the base of Mikdash. Even if the particular idol doesn't usually have things slaughtered to it or doesn't bow down to it, but those four things that are unique to the base of Mikdash, or especially in the base of Mikdash, are usher anywhere. How so? Why does that make any sense? How, I, I bow down to an idol that usually even their own practitioners don't bow down to. Why is that prohibited? And I think now we understand it so beautifully. Because like a couple that has their unique special things, every relationship, every couple has 
words, a special song, a special place they, a special present, a special place they like to go out together on a date, or who knows what. If you take something, it's one thing to cheat on your spouse, to have an illicit affair, but can you imagine how much worse it would be if you did that in a place or with something in the relationship that's really using something that was so special between husband and wife, and you use dafka that, Dafka the marital bed, or Dafka some other thing that's unique to the intimacy of your spousal relationship, and you use that while you cheated on your spouse, that is all the more troubling. And that, I think, is the explanation of that third understanding, uh, Isser, according to the Rambam. Last but not least, uh, I want to address, I think, a, if you will, the elephant in the room, uh, which is, how do we relate to this entire prohibition? After all, none of us has any Yetzirah, any Taiva. We can't even understand why anyone would worship idols. The whole thing sounds so bizarre to us. Or read Psukim and Chumash, Gemara. The whole thing makes sense. We have, this, we have plenty of uh, desires. We have plenty of uh, inclinations that aren't good. We have to overcome. But Avodah Zarah, how, how is this Lo Yelcha? However many mitzvahs it is, how does it relate to any of us? And the Gemara itself tells us in Masechet Sanhedrin that the Chachamim successfully petitioned to remove the Yetzirah, and they were successful. They were successful, the Gemara says it. There is no more Yetzirah, we don't feel it. So perhaps an answer can emerge from the explanation that different Mepharshim give to what does it mean, Lo Yelcha Elohim Achirim. What are these Elohim? So, and why is it El Achirim? How do you translate that? Other gods. So Rashi already addresses this. Rashi doesn't like that translation. Rabbeinu Bachai, others uh, have different explanations. But in the short time that we have left, I just want to briefly mention Rabtzarach HaKohen. Rabtzarach HaKohen in Tzidkas HaTzadik, Os Reish Lamed Beis, explains that Elohim Perush, Koach V'yecholet B'chomakom. Elohim Achirim, or Elohim here, doesn't mean gods. It means forces. Any force in the world in which you view it as acher, you view it as not being connected to God, lo Elohim acherim, you're in a violation. You're giving credence to the idea that there could be some other source to power, to forces, to talents in the world, when really all forces and all powers in the world come from Hashem. And therefore, Rabbi Tzadok HaKohen continues, and he says, any koach that you have with your body, whether it's your koach ha the way you see, the way you hear, any of your talents, your actions, anything you do, in all of them, says Rabbi Tzadok, yakir shashem yizbarach hu hanosein lo koach zeh. You have to recognize that all of your talents, all of your successes, they come from HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And if you don't recognize that, you see other forces in the world, or other forces even within yourself, and you think that it comes from you, or it comes from some other source, or someone else's credit, you don't realize the ultimate credit goes back to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. That, on a deeper level, says Rabbi Tzadok HaKohen, that is a violation of Lo'iyeh Elohim Acherim. Don't think that there's any Elohim, any force, any koach, that's acher, that's separate from Hashem. Ultimately, it all comes from Hashem. And therefore, even if the, the technical bow down to an idol kind of avodazara is hard for us to relate to, but this other form of self-worship, of Elohim Acherim, of seeing talents and accomplishments and successes and etc. in life, and not seeing the hand of God in them, seeing other forces in the universe, and giving purely natural explanations without realizing that it's God who's the author of all of these natural explanations, that is on some deeper level, a form of Odezara, and one which unfortunately, I think we can be honest, we all uh, struggle with, and certainly our generation, as much if not more than previous generations, struggles with this, and with this understanding, this second Dibra of the is unfortunately painfully relevant as much now as ever before.